The Catholic Church is rich in tradition and symbolism, and a lot of it isn't even known by most of us in the pews. It's interesting, when I've gone to Mass with someone who isn't Catholic and afterwards I get all of the, why do you do such and such type of questions? And even after all my years of ministry and education, I still don't know all the answers. I'm still finding things out that I didn't know. And there's a lot of stuff I knew at one point, but it's long since slid from memory. But when we don't understand why we're doing what we're doing, it means at some level, we really are just going through the motions. We need to do a lot better than that. Welcome to the Real Word Podcast for Easter Sunday, cycle B of the Roman Catholic Lectionary. I'm Brandon Jubar, and I'll be your guide as we walk through the readings for this week. It's an important process because we believe the scriptures are the inspired Word of God. But to really be nourished by the Word, we need to break it open and look a little deeper. We need to let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Now, the messages I get from these scriptures might feel right to you, but you also might find that the Holy Spirit tells you something else, and that is absolutely all right. So if you're ready, Let's dive in. So tonight, we'll actually be looking at the three gospel readings that we heard on Easter Sunday. The first gospel reading is from the Vigil. It's Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 7. Our second gospel reading is from Easter morning, and it's John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. And our final gospel reading is the one that they read in the afternoon, and it's from Luke's gospel. Uh, It's a a little long, but I'm going to read the whole thing, the entire thing. It's Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Tonight, as I said, we've got all gospels all the time. (laughs) We'll see that, well, there's no need to roll the stone. Peter takes second place, but not really. And a couple disciples, they get a surprise dinner guest. Okay, so we'll start by going through the readings, and then we can talk about the messages we find. As I said, our first reading is from the Vigil. It's the Gospel reading from the Vigil, and it's from Mark. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And our second gospel is from Easter morning. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. 
So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture, scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And finally, our lengthier gospel reading from Easter afternoon, if you went to an afternoon mass. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything they, that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. All right, before we dive in and take a first glance at these Gospels, I want, I want to explain a couple of things very quickly. 
um, we commonly refer to the authors of the four gospels collectively as the evangelists because they were called to share the stories of Jesus, the word of God, as faithfully as possible. So when you hear me talk about the evangelist, I'm referring to whoever wrote the gospel we're discussing at the time. And as I've mentioned before, their goal, the goal of the evangelists, the authors of the various gospels, their goal wasn't to write a history book. They weren't writing a textbook. They weren't concerned so much about the exact factual details of what happened. They were concerned with the meaning behind it, the religious truth of what happened. Their goal was to interpret the events and share them in a way that resonated with their specific community, basically bringing their audience into communion with the triune God. So especially in the first two Gospels we read tonight, that we just read, we clearly see some examples of the facts being a bit different, but the messages are all God's truth. So much like our own church communities, the evangelists' communities were all very unique, which created an incredibly diverse new church, and it was unlike any other church before it. The variations we see in the Gospels are the result of each evangelist shaping the story so it would be clear and well-received by their own communities, the people they were writing for and ministering to. <clears throat> each had a very unique group, and that group was unlike any other. So that's really where the variations that we see in the Gospels tend to come from. So with that, let's take a first glance at our first gospel, and that was from Mark. And this was the gospel that would have been read at the Easter Vigil. Um, the focus here was on the experience of the women who went to anoint Jesus's body and the angel who spoke to them. I will see in John, or we read in John, that the focus seemed to be on the, uh, you know, the foot race between Peter and the <laughs> disciple Jesus loved. And only um, Mary Magdala is mentioned as having found the stone rolled away. Like I said, as interesting as those differences can be, I'm not really going to explore them tonight. Just remember that it basically comes down to variations in how the events were shared with different communities of faith to best meet their unique needs. What I do want to focus on are some of the connections between these scriptures, these gospels that we read, and the sacraments and traditions we still have today. So when we look at Mark's gospel, the very first line begins with, when the Sabbath was over. So, so keep in mind that even though Christians today think of the Sabbath as being Sunday, that's not the case in the Jewish tradition. Their Sabbath is on Saturday. So the Sabbath would have been Saturday for Jesus, his followers, probably the evangelists who wrote the Gospels. That makes Sunday the first day of the week. This is critical because Sundays are sometimes called the, the sustenance of the church's life. <clears throat> In fact, the Easter vigil is held after dark on Saturday to connect it to Sunday because the tradition of meeting on Sunday is drawn from the Gospels. In other words, the resurrection took place on a Sunday. So that's when we commemorate it and celebrate it. So another interesting connection is between uh, the sacrament of baptism and the white robe worn by the young man in the tomb, right? the angel in the tomb. Uh, 
during the sacrament of baptism, when it, especially when it's celebrated at the Easter vigil, the church teaches that the, you know, the baptized die to sin and emerge from the waters of baptism into new life in Christ. And putting on a white robe is symbolic of this new life. And we can see here it's connected to the Gospels. Now, taking a first glance at our second Gospel, our second Gospel was from John, and that this would have been the, the Gospel that would have been read at Mass on Easter morning. And in John's Gospel, as I said, we have the whole race to the tomb between Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And you might wonder, okay, what's that all about? It seemed to be a big part of the story. Well, here again, it's about the message. I believe it's later in this chapter. Uh, it might be elsewhere in John's Gospel, but we learn that the disciple John refers to as the one Jesus loved is also the youngest of the disciples. So if you know that, then the fact that he outran Peter isn't surprising. What is surprising is that when he reached the tomb and saw the stone rolled away, he stopped and he waited for Peter to arrive. He looked in, but he didn't go in. Even in what was certainly a this moment of heart-pounding excitement, he still deferred to Peter's authority. Emphasizing this, you know, this fact sent a very clear message to the young church about who Jesus had selected to lead them and pointed out that even the one Jesus loved acknowledged the authority of Peter. Obviously, this is important to us today because the Catholic Church recognizes St. Peter as the first pope, and his authority to lead the church continues to be passed on. And finally, our last gospel reading, this would have been in the afternoon on Easter Sunday, and it's from the Gospel of Luke. So this rather long passage, it's one that we should all be familiar with. It's the story called The Road to Emmaus. And it's clearly linked to our celebration of the sacrament of the Eucharist. I'm sure most people, they think about the Last Supper when they think about the Eucharist. And that is certainly when the sacrament was first given to us. But Luke shows us its true importance and certainly helped ensure its position of importance within the Catholic Church. At the Last Supper, Jesus tells us to do this in remembrance of me. And yes, that's critical for the Church to remember Jesus. But that's really only the start of it, because once the travelers reach Emmaus and sit down to dinner, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them, and their eyes were opened. They had been traveling with their Lord and Savior by their side all day long and didn't recognize him. But through the blessing and breaking of the bread, through what we know today as communion, as the sacrament of the Eucharist, they finally recognized Christ. The Eucharist isn't just about remembering the past. It's about recognizing Jesus in the present. It's about receiving the Spirit and God's grace so we're able to see with our eyes of faith. We're, we're able to see Jesus' Spirit at work in our lives and in the world today. I mean, a lot like the disciples on the road, on the road to Emmaus, we are going to encounter lots of people and experience all kinds of things. 
and we may be completely blind to the presence of the Holy Spirit, blind to the fact that God is at work in our lives until we break bread, look back and and think the, the modern day equivalent of were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road. And we look back and recognize that Christ was there with us. We're all on a journey of faith. We are, we are all on our own road to Emmaus. And it's so easy to completely miss the presence of Jesus along the way. We get so caught up in our own trials and tribulations, our own struggles, the own, our, our own problems, just like the disciples did on the road. That's one of the reasons why the Eucharist is so important. It's not just about remembering. It's also about seeing clearly, which can give us strength to continue on this journey. All right, let's sum up what we've talked about so far. So unlike the Jewish tradition, the Christian Sabbath is on Sunday because it's the day we celebrate the resurrection and the new life we have through Christ. In the Gospels we looked at tonight, we saw examples of how uh, the symbols from our sacraments, like the sacrament of baptism, can be found there. The Catholic Church has very rich traditions, and we didn't just make this stuff up. We didn't just pull it out of thin air. The very beginnings of what we do can generally be found in the scriptures. Another example is the authority of the popes, the successors of St. Peter. And St. Peter was the one who was clearly established as the head of the church from the very beginning. But the sacraments, especially the Eucharist, they are powerful connections, bringing God's grace into our lives. The sacrament of the Eucharist, it connects us to the past so we never forget, but it also helps us to more clearly see the Spirit at work in the world today. So hopefully our discussion here tonight demonstrated how our sacraments are both established by and supported in the scriptures we read every single week. So let's step back and take a second glance at our discussion tonight. Now, I'm not going to answer my usual questions, so what and now what. <laughs> Instead, I'm just, I'm just going to throw a challenge your way. See, the Catholic Church really is rich in tradition and symbolism, and a lot of it isn't even known by most of us in the pews. It's it's really interesting when I've gone to Mass with someone who isn't Catholic, and afterwards I get all of the, hey, why do you do such and such type of questions? Even after all my years of ministry and education, I still don't know all the answers. I'm still finding out things I didn't know. And to be honest, there's a lot of stuff I knew at one point, but it's long since slid from my memory. <clears throat> but, but when we don't understand why we're doing what we're doing, it means at some level, we really are just going through the motions. We're doing it because, well, we've always done it that way. And everyone else is doing it, so we follow along. What I'm saying is maybe that's not good enough. Maybe we need to look more closely at what we're doing and find out why. Ask the questions. Look for the answers. So with that in mind, here's your real challenge for the week. Identify something you can't explain about the Mass and research its meaning. So the next time you attend Mass, 
whether it's in person or virtual, pay closer attention to what's going on and take note of something. Just take note of one thing that's being done that you aren't sure why it's being done or what it really means. And then go look it up. <laughs> we live in the information age. So take that little computer out of your pocket and do some research. There's always, always more we can learn about our Catholic faith. Well, before I wrap things up, I'd like to leave you with one more quote from Scripture. Our traditions and sacraments trace their origins back to Scripture. They're important ways that we stay connected to the past, that we see more clearly in the present, and frankly, gain strength to continue our journey of faith into the future. So remember what St. Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth. Now I commend you, because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, even as I delivered them to you. Let's stop going through the motions and start learning more about the very rich traditions of our Catholic faith. All right, we've come to the end of our time here together. Thanks for joining me this evening. I'll be back again next week. But in the meantime, I really do encourage you to use this as a starting point. Spend some time with the Bible on your own. Look at the readings we discussed tonight or find something completely different. Read through it a couple of times. Think about it. Pray about it. Try to open up not only your mind, but your heart. Break open the word and then let listen to what the Holy Spirit says to you. The Real Word Podcast is brought to you by The Real Values Project, Real Youth Ministry, and The Real Values Framework. Real stands for respect, engage, accept, and lead. For more information on the real values, please visit keepingitreal.club. And finally, the Bible readings used for this podcast are from the Holy Bible New International Version, copyright 1973, 1978, 1984, and 2011 by Biblica Inc. Used by permission, all rights reserved worldwide.